Have you ever wanted to be bold, to be brave, to speak up or take a new path, but you wish you had someone to show you the way? I'm Diva Davison, and this is A Voice of Her Own, a podcast about our journey to agency, authority, and action. Each week, you'll get inspiration, actionable practices, and support from me and from brave women of all kinds pursuing their own path. This is a podcast about showing up. As a coach, consultant, and doctoral student in psychology, I know a thing or two about pursuing an authentic life, but I'm still learning too. So join me as we encourage, support, and inspire each other. This is A Voice of Her Own. Well, hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of A Voice of Her Own. I'm your host, Diva Davison. And this episode, I'm calling Area 51. Why, you might ask. So it's very unusual for me to um, record an episode in the middle of other things happening in my life. I like to batch episodes and I just happen to save this slot and leave it open because today is the last day of the first 50 years of my life, which is weird. That's weird. Um, and so I had a lot of perfectionism around this uh, episode because I thought, oh, well, it's on my birthday. It's going to drop on my birthday. It has to be really impressive. And I'm the kind of person where maybe you can relate to this, but I got a lot of good feedback from my first episodes. And that's not something that makes me feel more comfortable or more relaxed. That's something that makes me feel actually more anxious because then I feel like I need to live up to it. And so I thought about a lot of different subjects for this episode. And, you know, perfectionism is one of those things that generally tends to bring production to a halt. So I, I probably have written maybe six or seven different, not full outlines, but ideas around episodes. And, and I'm glad for it because some of those will be episodes in the future. But finally, last night, my partner said, hey, like, I need you to remember that you're doing this podcast for you. And I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. I can talk about things that I want to talk about, which, you know, sounds kind of silly, but there it was. So I'm calling this one Area 51 because obviously tomorrow's my 51st birthday, but also because I think aging is very mysterious, right? There's a way in which as you get older, it's almost like you don't believe it because somehow some part of your psyche attaches to a particular era or a particular age where you were either really hot or you were doing something really fun or you were getting a lot of like validation or like for me, that age is 32 probably um, because I was, you know, really fit. I was making good money. I owned my own home. I was quote unquote successful by every external metric. And that idea of myself in that body and in that framework really 
stuck with me. And so now I have had the experience of kind of reconciling like, oh, my body doesn't do all those things anymore, or I don't look that way anymore, or that's not how I value myself anymore, or those aren't even my values anymore. Like those are things that I I don't, that's not the journey that I'm on at this point. And I think there are very distinct lessons for every decade. I have a cohort from school of women who are very smart and deep and thoughtful and spirited and, you know, just everything you would want in a cohort of women. And I'm the oldest of our group. And it's really interesting listening to some of them who are in their 30s talk because I recognize like, oh yeah, I remember when all of these things were a struggle. And I remember when I was able to let those go. And looking at the natural order of what we accumulate, what we process, what we let go as the decades go on is really interesting to me because clearly one of the biggest benefits, and this is well-researched, of aging is a feeling of acceptance, like the, the level of contentment, of acceptance, of peace increases because you have life experience. You know, things that seemed like they were absolutely the most dramatic, you know, life-changing, dramatic issues. You just look at them now and you're like, oh, I've done that already. So this time around, it, it doesn't seem as um, overwhelming. I have more competence. I have more capacity. And that feeling of having more competence, more capacity, more understanding of how nuanced the experience of being a human being in this world is seems to be the best, most tangible, most obvious benefit of aging, which is good because, you know, let's be honest, aging is weird. That's why I called it Area 51. So I hope that you will indulge me for a few minutes. I'm just going to explain to you my little metaphor here, and we might see whether or not it works. I suspect this is mostly something that only works for me, but but we'll find out. Okay. So Area 51 is obviously uh, well known as an Air Force base in Nevada that is um, classified, top secret. If you've ever been to Area 51 in Nevada or been around it, I can attest to the fact that it is creepy. It is, the vi whole vibe of that area is weird. Um, it's very mysterious. And secondly to that, there's also a reference, Area 51 is a first-person shooter game from a place called Narcade. Some people might remember what that is. Uh, so I used to play that game and I loved it. And so those two references are Area 51 and the way that they relate to aging is that it's mysterious. Okay, so aging, we don't really know what's in store for us. The whole process of recognizing, I mean, it seems obvious to recognize your mortality, but the whole process of getting older 
particularly, I think once you, I want to say 40, maybe mid forties as a woman is when you seriously start to recognize like, oh wait, shit is changing. And we have obvious, you know, we have a very obvious cycle that tells us this. Uh, once you go through menopause, like, you know, for sure shit has changed. There's no doubt about it. Um, but you can feel it. You can sense it even before that happens. And for a lot of women, it's because their children are aging and their children are getting older and they're becoming independent. And so that's sort of obvious. But for those of us that don't have children, you can still sort of feel it because you aren't necessarily having the ability to bounce back the way you did. Maybe you need more sleep. Maybe you're getting less sleep. Like it's just different. I mean, it's different for everyone, but it's definitely, uh, a, a series of subtle yet obvious signs. But with that, you don't really know what's in store because all of the generations of the last hundred years are having really different experiences in aging. And, you know, I can look at my grandmother's generation and my grandmother was born in the twenties and she lived through the great depression. And I wouldn't say she was an old lady in her 50s, but certainly by her 60s, there was, you know, the expert, like she had Kleenex in her pocket. You know, she had like, she just did some like very sort of what I would think of as little old lady things. And, um, and I see my parents' generation, which are baby boomers, really extending their period of life through technology. They're really leaning into technology and they're leaning into the technology of medicine and of pharmaceuticals, but also of things that are making things easier for them. Like, I mean, no kidding, like backup cameras, like that, that changes the way that you're able to drive. It changes the way you're able to park. I can attest to the fact that my neck is not as flexible as it was 30 years ago. And so, you know, it's kind of handy. So Boomers, I think, are really leaning into technology and they have the financial ability, by and large, to do so. So they're having a different experience than my grandparents were. And when I look at my generation, Gen X, and I look at millennials, because we're pretty, pretty snug, and we are having the aging experience of like, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen, because we're all really like aware of climate change and we're aware of the economy and we're aware of the fact that, you know, we are the first generations that are financially worse off than our parents in the entire history of our country. Um, that is something that has been weighing over us since childhood. So even though we know that we will have probably an extended life in terms of medical care, we have no idea how we're going to afford it or how we're going to retire. And that changes your perception and experience of aging. And it really, like I said, we, you don't know what's in store for you. It's not just what's in store for me physically. It's like what's in store for me and everybody else on this planet. So it's a different way of looking at it. And that brings me to the second part that's Area 51, which is that it's dangerous or it's weaponized. One of the things that we get a lot of is fear-based messaging around aging, right? It's something that we're supposed to fight, fight aging. Um, 
you don't want to look older. You want to look younger. You don't want to be older. You want to be younger. You know, there's like, there's like this instant negative around the idea that you are aging. And a lot of us take in that messaging and it's something that sticks with us. It's something that we internalize. And so in that sense, it is weaponized. It's something that as we see the signs of aging, there's a negative bias towards them. So we might see sunspots like age spots or wrinkles or broken capillaries or, you know, sagging skin. And we're instantly like, well, that's aging. That's terrible. I mean, there's a reality to it where if a human being were a piece of fruit, you know, a piece of fruit is better on the day that it's ripe than on the day that it's about to be tossed into the compost. But we aren't pieces of fruit. We, we're just, that's not reality. We're not something that's just there to be consumed only at a peak and then discarded or unused, if not during that very brief amount of time. And I'm thinking of avocados, clearly. Um, another part that makes it Area 51 is that it's full of unknown creatures or unknown objects or UFOs. Um, and by that, I mean the things that happen physically that take you by surprise, um, things that happen to you emotionally, things that happen to you developmentally, and things that can happen to your actual stage of life. Um, I have several friends and colleagues who, you know, some very surprising things have happened. When you come into your 20s and 30s and you're trying to establish your career and you're trying to establish your home base, whether that's buy a house or figure out how you're going to live and then you're going to create a family and, and you're really leaning into all of these particular developmental areas that we think of as being young adult to adult. You have a certain conception of yourself and how all of that's going to unfold. And my experience and the experience of many of the people I know is that somewhere right around 40, somewhere between 40 and 50, a lot of that shit changes and a lot of it changes in a way that's unexpected. For example, you might be married to somebody who says, hey, you know what? I thought maybe we could explore our sexuality. And now that we've done that, I realize that I'm gay and like, I can't be with you. Or it might be, hey, um, I have just come to the realization that this really well-paying job that I've had for 20 years that has kept this family afloat is fucking killing me and I can't do it anymore. You know, it might be, I've been lying to both of us my entire life and I'm actually going to follow my destiny, which is to be a priest. You know, all kinds of things, but there comes some sort of pressure, internal pressure, um, again, somewhere I think in your 40s and 50s, to be true to yourself, to shed some of the external validation and to become more committed or more serious about unearthing and being real with who you actually are and what your actual purpose is. And I think Brene Brown said it really well. I was listening to a podcast with her and Tim Ferriss. It's from a couple of years ago. And she said, midlife, like what we call the midlife crisis, and I'm paraphrasing here, 
but she, but not by much. She said, it's not a crisis. Midlife is when the universe comes and puts her arm around you and draws you close and whispers in your ear, I am not fucking around. You are halfway to being dead. You better get your shit together. And I thought, you know, that's exactly it. That's really true. This is the time when you're able to step back from so many of the expectations that you internalized from culture and from society and evaluate whether or not they really are for you. So the unknown objects or unknown creatures, you know, it can be anything from those kinds of life-changing things that I discussed or something as simple as like, why is there more hair here and less hair here? That seems counterintuitive. Um, another area 51 thing is that it's secretive. You know, it's classified. It's it's need to know. So in terms of aging, we don't talk about it. It's not sexy. You know, when I was thinking about doing this episode and I was like, oh, well, let's see. I could do an episode on aging because it is my birthday. And then I was like, okay, self, you can't do an episode on aging. That's not sexy. There's no sexiness. There's no sexy quality. And, you know, that's, again, that's a something that we've put on it, even though the curious thing about the desexualization of aging or the hypersexualization of infantilizing is that studies show and by now you're going to know that I'm going to talk about David Schnark, Dr. Schnark and passionate marriage. Um, but he points out that studies show that when you ask people about their sexual satisfaction, routinely people report the most sexual satisfaction in their late fifties and early sixties. Does that blow your mind? I mean, I found that so incredibly hopeful. I, really want to shout it from the rooftops. You know, this idea that like you have a couple shots at it, you know, a short brief time. And after that, you can expect dwindling returns is simply not true. But it also comes from having a better understanding of yourself and being willing to express, again, express the realness of your experience. You know, I think a lot of us can attest to um, how often we gave other people what they wanted as opposed to making sure that we gave ourselves what we wanted when it came to a sexual experience. So um, the last one that I would say about the Area 51 metaphor, which is a stretch, but is that it's erased. It's the history of it is not known. It's something that you don't see, you don't, you know, there's nothing that comes out about it that actually um, is accessible for us to look at, acknowledge, understand. And one of the things that people talk about with aging is erasure. And I think one of the um, hardest parts for me about getting older is coming to terms with, and this is hard, this is, this is a little vulnerable, so uh, if you DM me about this, be kind, um, but getting real about how much 
I now recognize how much I used my sexuality as a fallback position for making sure shit got sorted out. And by that, I mean that if you're a woman and you're attractive, there's a lot of consequences and there's a lot of detriments to that, but there are also advantages to that. And I am now recognizing how often I used that instead of being willing to either A, sit with discomfort or B, use a different form of power. And now that I am getting older, I don't feel the same. I don't, I don't know. I, maybe I could use it, but I, I don't, I don't want to. And it feels weird. Like I, I have this sense of like, I shouldn't be acting like I'm an attractive female because now I'm past childbearing age. So that's not my place. And it's just an interesting construct that I have a lot of curiosity around right now because there's a lot of layers to it. Like, is that true? You know, is that even true? I don't know. The biggest thing for me is that um, starting my business has required putting myself out into the world in a way that I generally don't do. And part of that has been putting my face and my physical presence out in the world because when you work as a coach, or, you know, people who work in any of the healing modalities, people want to know who you are. They're not going to want to work with a stranger. They need to know what you look like and what your reactions are and get a sense of you and a feel for you. So it requires a lot of um, images, you know, photographs or videos or, um, you know, just even advertising, uh, you know, having photographs for that. And, and all of that feels a very strange, but B, it means I'm looking at myself a lot and I I don't love it. I just don't love it. I've never loved the way that I look, but I have always noticed the way that people react to me. So even though I would look at myself and be like, Oh, that's not fucking attractive. I noticed that other people responded to me as if I was attractive. So I just thought, well, maybe they know something that I don't know. And I guess I'll just go with that. But that isn't a way that I can relate to the world anymore. And maybe part of it is just in my head. And maybe part of it is growing up. Like that's not how I want to interact with the world. But part of it is from being older. And, you know, there's always a sense of like, what's the appropriate response right now? Where do I land in the realm of how we assess each other? You know, just, I mean, let's not lie. People are always sussing each other out for how attractive are they and all of that kind of thing. That's a very normal human way of interacting and way of gathering information and way of categorizing people. Within that, I will say, like I had this experience, I don't know, maybe I think it was last year and I was at the post office and was it the post office? I was at the post office and, you know, last year it was still in the midst of COVID and 
there were a lot of people in line and I'm not sure timeline wise because I don't think we were wearing masks. So whenever that happened, whenever it happened that we weren't wearing masks, but people were still trying to distance. And so there was not as much, um, you know, just things were moving slowly. So we were in line for a long time and this young man, I want to say he was in his early twenties, came up to me and you know, as the line went on, he was chatting me up and like somewhere in the middle of it, I was like, I fucking, I, what the fuck is going on? This guy is flirting with me. Like it was uh, apparently at some point it was obvious. And just the whole thing was like so weird because I just couldn't grok like what had just happened. It, it kind of makes me realize that part of the aging process for me is having a certain concept of self. And I'm in a partnered relationship with somebody who, you know, is, it's not like there's any questions of whether or not we're attracted to one another. So that's not the the issue, but it, it's just, it's a whole weird experience. And I think media exposure that we all get now. Like one of the things that I do is on Zoom, I always turn off my self view because I just can't, I can't handle looking at myself that much. Like it makes me crazy and neurotic. And one of the things that I learned is that cognitively it's exhausting to be on Zoom and have yourself be one of the boxes that you're looking at because it is so against our normal human experience. Our normal human experience is that when we talk to other people, we don't see ourselves. So your brain is always trying to figure out what's going on when you do that. And I did find that uh, it was a lot less fatiguing to be on Zoom calls once I turned off self-view. But the other reason that it was less fatiguing is that I wasn't constantly obsessing about like, God, is that my nose? Is that a spot? What is that? Why? What is going on with my hair? Oh my God, that's my chin. You know, like that constant self-awareness that media has given us, social media in particular, and just having phones where we record everything and looking at myself. I mean, it's very possible that some of my anxiety around realizing that I don't enjoy how I look as I'm aging could just be like, I don't have it at the right camera angle. Like maybe I don't have the right angle when I'm recording videos because a lot of times I look at videos and I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like I don't feel that way. Um, but I think it's given all of us anxiety around these things and not just people who are in their teens and early twenties that we read about. And we definitely have seen what this kind of constant sense of self as a physical being in that representation is doing to us because, you know, very recently a New York Times article came out about the insane amount of body image issues and depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation in teenage girls and young teenage girls. Um, I think we all knew that was coming. I think this is not a surprise, but I think seeing the graphic numbers should be somewhat eye-opening to people. And I, you know, I have nieces. I have a nephew. I, I look at how people who are now just freshmen in college and in high school are relating to all of this. And, and it's, it's very intense. 
but that intensity isn't it it isn't limited to people at that age you know there's there's no less intensity particularly as a woman for reasons that we all know because of the way that we look at what's valuable and what's powerful about the way that we gender people there's no less intensity for looking at oneself as an aging woman either and it's a really profound exploration of value, self-worth, self-love, um, self-perception, and trying to figure out what it all means. So I'm going to take just a little break here because I've been talking a lot. I do a little shout out and then I'll come back. Okay, it's time for the shout out. So the shout out is a person, place, thing, product, idea, something that I'm excited about. It might be an affiliate link. Most of the time it's not. I just really love the idea of sharing things that are exciting, that we're enthused about, and spreading the love. So today it's my birthday, and so I decided today's shout out is going to be me. It's actually going to be my business, which is Equinox Equestrian Services. And so as many of you know, some of you don't, I'm a trauma-informed coach and I do experiential coaching, learning, and somatic work around trauma and burnout. I specialize in helping folks who are in the helping professions, <clears throat> first responders, medical field, social workers, um, firefighters, law enforcement, all of these folks who go to work and come home with the weight of the work that they've done with them on their shoulders in their home life. So that's the that's the people that I love to, that's the population that I love to serve. Um, I also am currently working on witch wound sessions. I've gotten a lot of responses about that. It's a big um, <clears throat> trigger. For a lot of women, there's a lot of resonance there. A lot of it's painful. So working through some of the historical trauma associated with the witch wound. And one of the upcoming projects that I have right now is going to be a two and a half or three day workshop on the witch wound. So that's coming up and I'm pretty excited about it. So May through October, I do horse human sessions where we work with the horses and all year round, I do online and one-on-one -on -one in person. Uh, and sometimes the weather is good enough to work with the horses during the winter. It just depends on how much rain we're getting. Today, we unusually have three inches of snow on the ground, which considering I live in the coastal redwoods in a temperate rainforest is very strange. I think it's birthday snow. So um, if you would love to do a consult with me, I offer 15-minute Zoom consults. There's no charge just to see if we're a good fit. That's um, something that you can book over at my website, which is equinoxeq.com. So E-Q-U-I-N-O-X-E-Q.com, equinoxeq.com. And uh, I thought it would be fun to offer a discount for folks who are coming over and booking services from this episode. So I've got a code. It's AREA51, A-R-E-A-5-1. 
and that's going to give you 51% off your first online session, which I think is a screaming deal. So happy birthday to me. Um, again, that's over at equinoxeq.com and I would love to meet you. So hopefully I'll see ya. Okay. Thanks for hanging out with me through that. So I want to talk about the, the way that we value women. Some of all of this is obviously going to be relative to everyone. And I'm not trying to limit the things that I talk about and say that it's only something that women experience, but I'm pretty much talking to women. And I want to talk about how the whole trinity of virgin, whore, Madonna, the way that we categorize women, translates into how we value them once they're past childbearing, right? So even though people can have children over the age of 40, it's unusual. Um, it's more challenging. And, you know, basically once you start heading into your 40s, you recognize that that era is coming to a close. And I, I'm going to tell you, I loved my 40s. Loved it way better, way better than my 30s. 30s were way better than my 20s. 20s were way better than being a teenager. You know, I assume that my 50s will be like that also. The biggest gift of being a person, a woman in your 40s, a person who, you know, is done with a childbearing age is that you don't have to give a fuck. You can't underestimate how liberating it is to not be in the endless game of mating, you know, mating or not mating or bearing children or not bearing children. Like all of that is so obsessive and part of it's, you know, our society and part of it's hormonal. But once you get past that, it's really freeing and that feels amazing. So for anybody listening who hasn't made it to their forties yet, I'm telling you it's bomb. It's awesome. But one of the things that happens is we start defining roles for women over the age of 40 and we sort of take the the Madonna mother and we translate in, that into grandmother, right? So if you're a woman who has children and grandchildren, you can find your sense of self and who you are and find a comfortable niche in being a grandmother. Um, if you are falling under like the virgin aspect of it, you know, you might be the woman who volunteers at church, who's really active in her community, who takes care of other people, not necessarily in terms of being partnered or um, having taking care of their own children or grandchildren, but kind of as we look at the almost the spinster. And I have to say, I posted this recently. Um, learning that spinster was originally a word for a woman who was such a fine weaver that she held financial independence. I think that's a big thing to think about, the idea of financial independence and how that changes who you are and how you're perceived as you age. And then the third category, the horror, I think, you know, there are some ways that, that plays out as roles for older women particularly, you know, it's interesting where the crossover is because the woman who is valued for being in a relationship with a man and raising children may not be the woman who's valued later in life. The woman who's valued later in life in a relationship with a man may be a woman who's more about her uh, image and her sexuality. And I think if you want to see an example of that, you can just look at Jeff Bezos 
and his whole relationship situation. And the problem with those sort of simple go-tos is that it cuts out so many of the other possible roles as a woman aging. And I, I don't have an exhaustive list. I wrote down a bunch that I thought were relative to me. So, you know, I'm sure, and I would love to hear if people have other visions of like, what are those roles? But I immediately was like, oh, what about being a community builder, a healer, a creator, an artist, a counselor? You know, those are just the ones that sprung to my mind. And those are all roles that come out of being self-referencing, not in reference to other people, not in reference to societal, you know, roles that we give women, the the basic cookie cutter, cookie cutter roles. But I think if you're somebody who is competitive or into business or, you know, there's so many different things that you can take on as a woman that don't necessarily follow into those three simple categories. And I think we should continue to express and explore those. I would love to have somebody come um, into my DMs or email me and give me like other things that aren't even occurring to me because I fall into somebody who wants to be a healer, a counselor, a creator. Another thing that I was kind of curious about in thinking about the whole issue around how we look and what it means to age and how we categorize ourselves within that is um, another question that came up in that Brene Brown episode where she was asking like, what is the line between self-acceptance and complacency? I think about this a lot. Like I think about it a lot because I'm a perfectionist and I am a person who struggles under the feeling never good enough, feeling like I must accomplish more, I must do more, I must, you know, be busier, I must be more productive, more efficient, more accomplished, all of which I talked about a bit in the year of saying no. And so self-acceptance sounds nice as a theory, but does that mean that we all just go, okay, that's good. I'm good. Like I don't, doesn't matter. And conversely, if we decide, like here was my thought the other day, I made a video and it was just for me. I was just talking to myself as I was driving because I wanted to remember some of the ideas that I had and I didn't want to write them down because I was driving. So I made this video and when I played it back, I was so like, I felt so ugly and I went into a spiral of feeling shame and worthlessness because I just was like, God, like you just have let yourself go which, you know, is not, it's not actually true. I just am older. <laughs> like, and, and I know I'm not alone in having those spirals because I've talked to other women and they tell me those things. They tell me that they, you know, go into the bathroom and end up on a crying jag or that they, you know, leave a meeting where they've done all this amazing work and they're, you know, being validated and they get in their car to go home and they end up crying in the parking lot, you know, like that's not unusual because a lot of us are still really struggling with that sense of 
self and self-validation versus external validation. And as women, I think we are all very clear on the fact that the number one thing that society tells us that we should be validated for is our appearance. And so after I had my little, you know, crying jag myself about this whole situation, I was like, okay, well, clearly this really upsets you. So perhaps it's time for a new exercise regime. And so then I sat there and I thought like, well, what's the correct answer? Is the correct answer to try to exercise and diet my way to looking the way I think I should look based on how I did look, which is based on what society tells me is the way that we're, you know, that is appropriate or desirable? Or do I accept the fact that I'm, you know, relatively healthy, but not maybe, you know, at some sort of, I don't know, physical ideal and say like that ideal is a cultural construct and it's not my ideal. And I don't feel that when I'm moving around in my life, in my world, or, you know, like there's a level of complexity to the whole conversation that I found pretty overwhelming and I haven't come to any kind of resolution with it. i think that there's something in the emotional response that tells me, hey, something's unprocessed here and it's up to me to process it and figure it out. It's not up to my partner to like tell me that it's okay. It's not up to the external world. It's not up to, you know, somebody in the line at the post office. It's not about that. And at the same time, I have to really also look at, you know, why is it that I can only conceptualize one kind of body as being acceptable? Why is it that I can only conceptualize one, you know, I've told people this before, um, this is not, you know, some sort of shocking tell-all, but there was a time in, in my early 30s where I was working uh, at a barn as a an intern and then as a barn manager and it was very long hours and I was getting paid very little money and um and I was really thin and I was so thin that eventually my hair started to fall out and you would think that that would have been a place where I would have been like oh I think that this is too thin But, you know, never in my life have I gotten as much external validation as I did during that time period. Um, When I would go out in the world, people reacted to me and it was in a very, you know, validating way. Um, And it's the one and only time in my life because of my natural body shape that I had a flat stomach. And it, you know, like, that's like some crazy goal that we're all supposed to have without any kind of like recognition of genetics. And so even though I recognized intellectually, like, Hey, this is bad. Like, I don't, I've never had my hair fall out. I have really thick hair. I'm Italian. Like I don't have this issue. I could see the consequences of it. There was still a part of me that was like, Oh, I kind of like this. I kind of like this because I'm really, now officially engaged in the cultural construct of what a woman should look like. And 
I wonder about my own relationship to all of that as I age. I wonder about why, and part of it, I, I can tell you part of it is that we internalize things that we're told and things that we see. And and my mother really modeled like wanting to be thin and attractive. That was a value that she held all the way up to the day she died. And it was very important to her. And even though I consider her to be a feminist in so many ways, that message that she got as a child of the 50s stayed with her. And she said so many things around that, that it was something that was just part of the messaging I got. So that part of it's super obvious. But now that I am my own person, it's like I have curiosity about the fact that I continue to only see one size version of myself or one visual representation of myself as acceptable. So I think the last thing that I'd like to touch on in my little area 51, and it's not something that actually relates to that metaphor, but it's just about recognizing that understanding mortality makes you recognize the things that are just not going to happen. And there's something almost childish or, you know, certainly childlike, but I would even say childish about continuing to hold the fantasy that we can be all things and have all the things and go all the places and have all the experiences. It's definitely something that I almost hesitate to say because I think a lot of people want to promote this message of like, you can do everything you want. You can be whoever you want. You can, and th that's true, but you can't do it all at the same time. And you probably can't do it all in the same lifetime. And at some point you have to acknowledge that and recognize like, oh, that was an almost childish fantasy that I had that kept me from making commitments to certain things or to working through the hard parts of certain things or to digging into myself to find out what I was capable of. Part of aging is recognizing that you have to make peace with the things that didn't happen. The people that didn't end up being your, you know, your person, the jobs that you didn't get, the fantasy of being a writer or being an actress or being a rocket scientist or traveling in Africa and, and tracking elephants. And it's not to say that 50, you're not dead. Like certainly there's plenty of people who have embraced new things and new careers and new trajectories in life in the second half of life. And I think it's actually more common than not, because like I said, a lot of people come to a, sort of a, a waking point, a tipping point where they realize like, wait a minute, you know, my time is limited and I have things to do. But there are other things that won't happen. Like, you know, I am not going to have children now. Um, if you're 50 something, you're not going to be the romantic lead in a rom-com, most likely. If you're 50, you probably aren't going to the Olympics. You probably are not going to the moon um, if you haven't done it already. And so there are limits. There are things that we have to just come to terms with. And I think recognizing that and seeing the places where it's actually a benefit is a huge 
developmental maturation step. So I'm still working on that one. I'm still working on grieving the things that I am recognizing are not for me this time around. And, and, and with that comes having the gratitude for all that is and all that I have been given and understanding that not everything in life is for me and that the things that are mine will come to me. I feel like that's a thematic place in my life right now. I hope that that idea, which I have seen, you know, quite a bit more recently is helpful for people just to remember, you know, just to remember to, that you can sink into knowledge that what is yours is coming to you and nothing can stop it. And what is not yours is not, and you don't have to regret it. You can let that go. So that is sort of where I'm at on this evening before my 51st birthday. And I just want to thank you for listening to me go through all of that because it's definitely been a process over the last few weeks. Um, I'm going to take a break now. We come back. It'll be the takeaway. So now it's time for the takeaway. The takeaway is an actionable practice that you can take out in the world as you journey forward. It's something that could be, should be, hopefully will be of use to you. It's a practice. It's not something that, you know, maybe you're going to master right away, but possibly you could. It could be something that will really, even today, you could start and you'll see results from it, something that can help you on your journey. And Today's takeaway is coming up. So this week for the takeaway, I'm just going to bring in something really um, simple. So one of the things that I started doing about a year ago, I was watching some continuing education, some coach continuing education, and one of the people that was featured on it was Marisa Peer. And she is a, a, a motivational speaker and coach out of uh, Britain. And she now has something called Marisa Peer Rapid Transformative Therapy. I don't know anything about that. Um, but she did give a talk that I thought was really interesting where she talked about the power of mirror work and the power of putting up on your mirror just simple words, I am enough. I am enough. So if you sit and you think about those words, I am enough, there's a lot that goes into a very simple sentence. And I want to suggest to you trying some mirror work. Now you can write on your mirror or not. It's up to you. You're an adult. But if you want to, remember, you're an adult. You can write on your mirror if you want to. You can write whatever you want. I wrote on my mirror in lipstick, I am enough. You could also use an erasable marker. And it is curious looking at it when you look in the mirror and you're sort of observing these different things about yourself. That overarching message changes the way you perceive yourself on a pretty subtle but I think important level. So I want to offer that. But more than that, 
I want to offer mirror work as a whole. And if you haven't done it before, it can be really challenging. It's something that will really bring you to your growth edge around your own messaging to yourself. Because what I would suggest that you do is one, two, three times a day that you go into the bathroom and you shut the door and you look into the mirror and you take a deep breath and you look into your own eyes and you say, I love you. I love you. I am proud of you. I appreciate you. I know that you're trying. I see what you're doing. You are doing enough. You are okay. You are safe. And I love you. You can say any variation on those, but I just want to say that the part that I think is the most important is the I love you. And my experience with doing this myself is that it's a really enlivening, beautiful experience, and it can be very silly. And if you can approach it with some humor, and if you're okay making faces and recognizing how awkward it feels and how silly you feel and kind of dumb and like, what's the point and why should I do this? And sometimes it might even bring up really emotional parts of yourself where you feel unloved and you feel unlovable. The clients that I've had talk to me about this have experienced the full gamut of emotions around this. But if you keep at it, it is a beautiful, brilliant, simple way to give yourself the messaging that you need to counteract all the bullshit. So I'm just going to suggest that you try it. Try it for seven days. Do it one to three times a day. Go in the bathroom, look in the mirror, look in your eyes and say, I love you. And I think that you're going to find that that is something that you might want to take with you past the seven-day mark. Okay, I hope that this was helpful for you guys. I am so appreciative that you're on this journey with me. Thank you for being here for another episode, and I will catch you next week. Hey, friends. Thank you again for joining me on A Voice of Her Own. I hope that this episode was useful that it was inspiring, that it sparked something in you that you can take out into the world. And if you want to hear more episodes or you want to sign up for our newsletter so you never miss one being released, head on over to www.avoiceofherown.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can get all the show notes. You can uh, get all the links to everything we talked about and any promotional things that I have going on. So again, thanks for joining us and take that out into the world and be your badass self. Mm -hmm.